You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the directors for the documentary film The Mission, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. John's parents brought him up to be Christian. He was just like full of light. I had a little bit of a crush on him. You couldn't have asked for a better young man. He reminds me of who I wanted to serve with. He told me his plan was to go live in the middle of the jungle. It didn't sound that bad. I thought that John would get accepted. People whose language no one speaks, whose culture no one knows. There's a fine line between faith and madness. Once he found out about that tribe, he knew he was going to go all in. John was telling his story. I'm a climber. I'm an adventurer. Here we are, hiking out. If things don't go well, he wanted to look like a young, arrogant, Western person, did a stupid thing, and move on. John said to me, this is what the plan looks like. Have it right here. There's so many ways the seductions of this story can go wrong. This idea of people who exist out of time, that erases their humanity. These cultures that are isolated, when we cross that boundary, we're saying your prohibition means nothing to us. That there's a group that we would decide, sorry, you don't get to hear about Jesus. That's a violation of their human right. John did exactly what Jesus told him to do. John was pursuing a fantasy in discerning the call. We can mess it up. My friend did something stupid and courageous and bold, and I wish I was that bold. Jesse and Amanda, thank you for chatting with me today. I, I loved the mission so much. I've been telling many people about it. I'm, I grew up uh, in evangelical circles, so I've still got a lot of a lot of people there. So I've been telling a lot of people to watch it. Thank you. And um, that's that's interesting that you have that background. So we'd like I'd like to hear more about sort of that. You know what perspective that has given you. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I would love to hear about how you came to the story and maybe what sorts of questions that you started with, how that process started. Sure. Well, there's really two answers to, to that question of how we came to this story. The first is a film we made about 10 years ago about an act of radical faith called The Overnighters. Um, and I think that this film, this story is really a continuation of that exploration for us. Um, John Chow, his act of radical faith caught the world's attention, and it caught our attention when he was killed on North Sentinel Island in 2018. And there was something about, I think, the collision of his worldview and this culture, this community that lived on this island that we knew almost nothing about. Um, I think that that it, it suggested to us that beyond the viral headline was perhaps a deeper story to explore. And, you know, usually we run away from big global stories, but this one stayed with us. And we, we were fortunate to be able to partner with um, National Geographic and Lightbox and were great admirers of their work, respectively. And so it felt like we had great partners. We had um, we were challenged by the story, both in form and content, but we're, we were excited by that challenge. So um, we leapt in and, and it's been a, it's been an adventure. Did you did you start with big questions? I'd love to know how you kind of approached like at the very beginning. How did you approach investigating what happened? So reading about the story in the newspaper, as a lot of people did when it happened, um, because it did become global news, I think for me, immediately there was a question of, you know, who who would do 
this thing, what would motivate somebody to want to make contact with a isolated and protected, uncontacted, I'm going to say that in quotes, because part of our project was realizing they have been contacted before, but an uncontacted, uncontacted tribe, why would someone not want to preserve that? That was sort of such a question mark in my head as someone who grew up not religious and not understanding of what would motivate John, which became part of the investigation. Why? Why? And then the other side of it was who are these, who, who is this tribe that that still in in our modern world is uh, so little is known about them and that they live such an isolated um, life and existence. And that then, you know, you pull the thread on that question, sort of trying to figure out the context and the history and the mystery of both sides of that meet. And suddenly you're, you're opening up to a much bigger conversation that it does involve National Geographic and does involve um, all kinds of, of, of stories we could relate to, not just Bible stories, but stories of adventure and childhood um, stories we'd all taken in. Adam Goodhart, who's a historian interviewed in the film, describes this island as a wormhole. And I think that's an apt description of our creative process. Um, we didn't know where it would lead us, um, but that's exciting. That's what we love about nonfiction and uh, why we wanted to just kind of let the story take us where it would take us. Yeah, I was going to ask about the form. You know, you, you've obviously both worked in documentaries for so long and you've had m many different types of documentaries. And so you have something like Boys State where you're you're following it as it happens, seeing what comes up. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get as opposed to the mission where you're investigating something that already happened. Are there still are you still able to find surprises along the way in, in the same vein? You have to. I mean, you cannot stay interested in working on a project for two years or more often um, without kind of reinventing your 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 interest and your curiosity in in the story and the complexities of it or the people you meet generally surprise you change things we met Dan Everett we met all these people we did not know we were going to meet in the making of this film and because it's a more reflective film because it's something um, we weren't following in a present tense cinema verite way the way we did with Boy State. There was a certain piece of the surprise for me, which was that these other folks we interviewed who'd done parallel journeys to John's had a, such fascinating lookbacks on their um, time doing either the same project that John did or some kind of adjacent project. So we're used to working from the inside out, and this this story is really an outside-in look. There's something of a, of, a, of a forensic examination and a philosophical examination. Um, there were challenges of access. The evangelical community is wary of outsiders, secular filmmakers, despite what I think is um, a very Christian film that we made, The Overnighters, in some ways. So that was challenging. I think getting people in John's community to open up, which they did, and I'm, I'm really proud proud of the work we did to bring their voices into the conversation. It was really essential, and to respect John's faith, and to allow them to question it or his decisions for those voices of questioning to come from within and not from without. So that was important. Obviously, the access to his family was also challenging. I think for us, when Patrick Chow, his father, shared that very powerful letter with our team, um, it really opened up the story emotionally in an important way and theologically because Patrick, uh, who's also Christian, but doesn't subscribe to John's 
particular brand of faith questions his son's choices. So I think that that Patrick's voice suggested to us a kind of a through line through the story that would keep us grounded. And that that's really important because there's some big questions we we examine, but, yeah. but that was the sort of anchor for us. Was the human anchor, right? That's kind of but 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 also really important for us again as a point of connection um as folks who grew up outside of the church, but we're de- we're parents um of two kids who are in the, you know young, but also um they do make choices you don't agree with um, sometimes. And it's you, it's that was his letter was something that I think we really felt. And um, it was a key part of unlocking this film for us. Hmm. What I so appreciated about the film is how open-handed it does feel. Um, You don't shy away from challenging questions and some conclusions drawn at the end of the film as well that are challenging, but it, it doesn't feel in any way, you know, like a hit piece on Christianity or missions or anything like that. How difficult was that task to to remain open-handed? And how did that influence the questions that you approached in the interviews? Well, I think it was important to go into those conversations with with uh, compassion and, and an open mind. And, and um, I think that, as Amanda likes to say, I think so much of documentary is listening. And I think that for us, the challenge came later in, in the writing process of balancing the perspectives in the film, the voices of criticism, some are very sharp, the voices of compassion and sympathy, those who see John as a martyr and those who see him as somebody who's committed a, a, a profound transgression. Um, I think that there was a long period of essentially writing the film um, uh, that where we we had to kind of negotiate our own feelings. And I think to always re- remind ourselves that John you know, John is a complex human being, and I think the film needed to depict him to the extent we could as that person. I think John is also hard to access in some way. You know, he left all this social media, um, a ton of it, which is some of it is in the film, and he was something of a an influencer, right, as an outdoorsman, mountaineer. But but it's it's it's, it's in some way conceals he concealed a lot of of his true mission, as it were, and I think that we worked hard to. Um, pull out some things that hadn't been revealed about John, his master plan, for instance, in which he laid out quite intelligently and methodically how he was planning to get to North Sentinel Island and convert the Sentinelese. And so I think, um, you know, we were balancing this sort of like thriller aspect of John's story, this sort of you know, this incredible mission that he went on, which was dangerous and in which he was driven and which he was willing to risk his life. And and then these questions that come into the story that have to do with really themes that are much larger than John's contact with the Sentinelese that have to do with how we look at and relate to and have related to indigenous communities um, for centuries. Uh, I think that's obviously where the story took us. And and I would say something of an unexpected way, and I have to We'd probably have to qualify that because it's partly though, because I think my initial interest was kind of, I was so uncomfortable with what he did and trying to make sense. I mean, some at this point in our career, because we worked on so many projects, like I find that that discomfort kind of exactly the place I want to like spend some time trying to unpack that. Um, What, what, what is it that's happening there and how is it related to me? And I think that to me was the surprise of this is it's not just, oh, that that guy did that thing over there that I totally don't agree with. But what happens when I listen to all these different perspectives on who thinks it was a good thing, who thinks it was a bad thing and what's it related to that 
I have complicity in, in terms of behavior I do, um, or stories, or that, stories I've taken yeah. in that, you know, create a certain way I act in the world or act towards other people in the world. And I think that's the really interesting piece and in why National Geographic was such an interesting piece of this project in particular, that they were also willing to look in the mirror and understand their part in this bigger story. Because I think what we did discover and didn't realize when we started is that John really subscribed to two faiths, his evangelical Christian faith, but also this faith of adventure and exploration, of which National Geographic is a kind of apostle of, um, certainly for the last hundred years, and which it was a magazine that we had in, in my home, and um, John read National Geographic too. He read these stories of Tintin and um, watched uh, Robinson Crusoe and and or read Robinson Crusoe and and so many stories that are really secular stories that reflect this kind of um, narrative of uh, a boy's own adventure. Looked, 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 looked at and discovery looked at one way very innocently, but I think looked at now with the perspective we have there, they often or can reflect deeply embedded narratives around how indigenous communities were seen. Um, and, and for example, the fantasy that you could go and live among them and that they would accept you and that that was appropriate and desirable, you know, which John took from Tintin. Right. Right. And so I think that that's where the movie kind of bent back. Um, or, or shined back a reflection on on us in ways that we didn't anticipate. But fortunately, Nat Geo was willing to say, look, we're complicit. And even in this particular story, having um, supported the expedition to North Sentinel Island in 1974, they were part of this story and, and they were willing to, to scrutinize themselves, which is important. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Yeah, I was going to ask specifically about that. What were those conversations like behind the scenes to include that sort of indictment? There, This is part of a project that's bigger than this film for them. So I think um, what was beautiful about this film for them was that it, they were natural to the story. So it was, it felt like an organic way to incorporate part of the work they, they need to be doing that we're all doing as a, as you know, in every media sense. So they were on board. And I think that that is the right thing. (laughs) So it felt, um, it felt like we had the support from uh, immediately. So there weren't a lot of conversations about it other than. Um, I think there was a hazard that that it could swallow or we yeah. could swallow our tail. Be, be, there's, there's so much to say and explore and really probably the province of another film. So with any documentary, always drawing the boundaries around the story is, is challenging, of course. And I think for us, um, discovering that, that John had what we call the, the, these alter egos, um, Dan Everett, the missionary 
Adam Goodhart, the historian who had been to North Sentinel as a young man, like John, uh, Tian Pandit, the Indian anthropologist who had also gone to North Sentinel to try to understand this culture as an anthropologist. They helped us kind of form this composite understanding of, of John in a way. But to back to your earlier point, I think that what what I think we're proud of about the film is that it provides hopefully a way for people of faith and no faith to come to a conversation. And I think to be challenged, if you think John Chow is a martyr, if you're convinced of that fact, I think the film might challenge you. And I think if you're convinced that, you know, John was like a reckless fool and a zealot on a suicide mission and, and, you know, what he did isn't, you know, has nothing to do with you other than, you know, introducing you to the Island of North Sentinel, which you might be curious about, you're going to find out that actually, you know, the stories that you have taken in are as powerful as John's stories, and um, if not more so, perhaps in some ways. So I think that that's um, hopefully the film is creating a space for for conversation. That's really what we hope. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like I said, I'm I'm already sharing sharing it to people I know uh, in the evangelical community because I think it's really important and and challenging. Uh, I I grew up hearing the end of the spear, the movie, and hearing those stories and and kind of being taught to idolize those to a degree. So so I appreciate the challenge to it. Obviously, editing is just so incredibly vital in all film, but especially documentary film. Tell me about the editing process of the mission and working with Aaron. Working with Aaron's absolute dream. I He's just the, one of the best in the business. And Aaron Wickenden, we should. Oh, Aaron Wickenden. Sorry. Yes. A last name. <laughs> no, so does he need one? Duly it's acknowledged. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we always knew he, we wanted him um, to be part of this project. We'd worked on a film with him before that was archival. Um, and he's so good with that. And and so he was part of the team, as was uh, a, another co- longtime collaborator, Will Cohen. So we're sort of a writing room. And I think for this project in particular, it was so important. There's a million ways that this could have gone. I guess that's true with any story, but particularly this one getting it right and balancing all the different people and all their journeys. And when were we going to actually have this, you know, get to the point of contact and how long can we make people wait to get to that point? And, you know, it was sort of a spiral more than any other film that I've ever been part of in the writing of it. And like Jesse said, there are pieces of this where we could have gone and made a whole nother we, there are many rabbit holes. Let's put it that way. We fell down a rabbit hole with King Kong. We fell down a rabbit hole with um, with National Geographic and past stories they'd done on, you know, it, anyway, millions of different alleys, alleyways. We tried to stay on the main boulevard and, and Aaron was key to that kind of keeping us on the rails. I think what, what was exciting too is I, I think the film more so than some other work but particularly Boy State and, and the Overnighters has a more of a literary narrative structure, and and that, that it's weaving a couple of different both yeah. both personal storylines, but also it's moving forward in time and backwards in time, and and that's just exciting to do as a storyteller. It's it's hard to figure out, and you know you probably know this as a storyteller and a writer too, but it's 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 just getting all the pieces to sort of interlock in, in the right ways, and um, to not lose the, the emo- emotional thread and. Um, I so I think that 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 really was exciting to us. It took about a year to get right. It but, always uh, takes a year. But um, we're slow. But and also <laughs> to to 
um, allow the film to, you know, John took in stories in so many different forms and we were looking for a grammar that the film could, the film's, I think, own language, which is, you know, drawn from diaries that are voiced and incredible archival clips of these anthropological expeditions to these islands in the 70s, to King Kong, to, you know, to John's social media. It's a really, a, a kind of collage and a, I think a very exciting way. And um, but that's also hazardous too. So kind of giving coherence to a collage form um, and then bringing to life John's fateful contact with the Sentinelese. Of course, he wrote this incredible diary, <clears throat> which is anguished and very precise in what he was experiencing over the, say, 36 hours that he was interacting with the Sentinelese before he lost his life. And that survived him and was um, shared publicly by his family. So um, using that, we 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 felt that the way to bring that to life, that story, that moment of encounter was through animation. And that's um, maybe something else to, to talk about, but, and that, so we introduced that element to everything else. So. Well, I wish I could talk to you longer about this film. I really do. My time is just about up. Before I let you go, we've seen so many documentary filmmakers recently make the transition into narrative or, or dramatized filmmaking. Is that is that something that that interests you for a future project? I think it's really story dependent. You know, when when a story comes to us, I think we we do think like, what's the best? Is this a story for us? Are we the right storytellers? Should we be telling it, and how should we tell it? And and I think if the right story comes, and we we think to ourselves, this 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 is this is great, but it should be told in the scripted form. I think we we we'd love to we'd love to do that. I mean, we've I think the animation of, of in this film was was sort of a gesture in that direction. It's very narrative. Um, you storyboard it out. I yeah. mean, it's 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 a mm -hmm. you script it, you storyboard it, you animate it, you paint yeah. it. Takes very long time. So verite filmmaking is very quick. Point a camera, follow somebody. That's a very premeditated storytelling, which is, yeah, we loved yeah. it. It was so totally different. I think an answer to your question, absolutely. If it was the right story and we had the right partners who would support that. So awesome. Well, uh, whatever comes next, I can't wait to see your next project. Uh, again, thank you for the film and, and thank you for your time today. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for talking to us. Yeah, I think spreading the word. We appreciate it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Take care, Daniel. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the directors for The Mission, Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Mission is now currently playing in theaters from National Geographic Documentary Films and Picture House. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 